Best Rest Products is where the number one tire pump in the business for us motorcyclists comes from. It's called the Cycle Pump, made in the USA, has lifetime warranty. They also distribute the Google Tech filters for North America. The website, cyclepump.com. That's Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear, making American-made heavy-duty innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using the strapping system. Um, great systems. matter of fact, all the stuff they make is super tough. I've tried tons of it myself. The website, greenchiliadv.com. That's greenchiliadv.com. Today we have episode two of Adventure Rider Radio's exclusive travel series, Southward Chronicles, the ongoing saga of two riders traveling together on separate but parallel journeys with Jeremy Craker and Al West. First, we're going to talk with them in Mexico, where we're going to hear about a quick turn that separates the couple and raises the, step, the stress level rather to the extreme, at least for one of them, and exposes some areas that they still need to refine between the two of them. Then after that, we catch up with them in Guatemala after a rather stressful border crossing that runs contrary to what they'll tell us when they're in Mexico. All this and more coming up. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. They've been doing it since 2002, that's Outfitting Adventure Riders, and they have got a load, I mean the full load of parts and accessories online that they can ship to your door, maxbmw.com. Get their e-rider newsletter, it's free, maxbmw.com, that's maxbmw.com. It's a proven fact that you will get more miles from your chain by oiling it regularly. Here's what you got to look at. The MotoBreeze chain oiler. It's got no moving parts, got no electrical parts. It runs off of air pressure and it's got vacuum connections that take the oil down and deposit it onto a felt pad that goes directly onto your chain. An ounce of oil gets you a thousand miles or 1600 kilometers. MotoBreeze.com. There's two eyes in there. MotoBreeze.com. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. This is season one of Adventure Rider Radio's exclusive moto travel series, episode two of Southward Chronicles, the ongoing saga of two riders traveling together on separate but parallel journeys with Jeremy Craker and Al West. Now, Jeremy and Al are each riding their own motorcycles, different motorcycles, from Canada to Ushuaia and back. They're a couple, but until this trip began, their relationship has been sort of a long-distance one each living in different cities that are about 60 miles or 100 kilometers apart. Now, on this trip, they're both carrying all their own gear, including tents. That's just in case they decide to separate while they're on route. Last time we spoke to the traveling duo, we heard that they had many issues before they left, just preparing for the trip. 
They dealt with some um, financial scares. And then once they got on the road, they had the classic move of realizing that they'd overpacked and having to ship gear back home. Now, these are experienced travelers. The both of them have done their trips of their own at different times. And on this particular trip, the idea is to do that return trip in 13 months or maybe less. At least that's for Jeremy because he's going to be required to be back at work. But L is kind of open-ended. So that alone can make a difference in how they feel about this trip. Now, Jeremy and L have not been any farther than the Darien Gap before. It's a matter of fact, it's Jeremy's fourth attempt to get to Ushuaia. We're going to speak with them twice on this episode. In the first part, we caught up with them in Mexico. Jeremy, Al, where are you guys now? What is the name of this town? I don't even remember. <laughs> Ocampo, I think. Yep. Yeah. That's the thing when we're traveling, we're not really plotting out our destinations very well. So sometimes we roll into a town and we stop just because we're kind of out of energy or out of daylight and uh, not always 100% sure where we are. Or sometimes we just see a hotel on the side of the road and we're not necessarily in a town. Yeah. So you just pull in and check it out. You're in Mexico. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we crossed into Mexico what, five or six days ago. Mm-hmm. Mm, d- describe the, the hotel you're in. This one is really nice. We lucked out with this one. It's beautiful. And I think we probably have the biggest room. And mm-hmm. I think we might be the only people in, in right now. So it's great. Oh, yeah, wow. I think it's uh, still at the early days of tourist season here in this part of Mexico. So uh, it is a bit of a touristy town, uh, not set up for English tourism, but like for Latin American tourism, I think. But uh, I think we were the only guests here. And when we showed up, um, the price was right and it was starting to rain, which was also an added incentive. And then when they said that we could roll our motorcycles right through reception and into the uh, foyer, we were sold. We're like, yep, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Did you have to ask them so, that or were they, were they prepared for that? We just asked if they had parking. So those are some standard questions and we have to get used to asking the right questions that we don't always ask in uh the States or Canada. We ask if they have Wi-Fi. We ask if they have secure parking for our bikes. And then we have to also ask if they have hot water because a lot of them don't. So you just get a shower with cold water and if the Wi-Fi is reliable and if we can see the room ahead of time. So when I asked if they had parking, he said, yep, no problem. And he just pointed over to the front entryway and into the front lobby. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a bit of an adventure because the, um, the entryway is pretty narrow, plus there's a bit of a steep step as well. And they were concerned that we wouldn't get our bikes in, but we've got, you know, high suspension travel and uh, it was kind of fun. The step wasn't too much of an issue, but the handlebars barely fit through the doorway. So it was slow and delicate. Well, you guys crossed um, a couple of borders so far. Last time we talked, you were in British Columbia, still in Canada. You went across into the States. What was your U.S. crossing like? Was it just a standard crossing? Yeah, it was a small crossing. Uh, I can't even remember where we crossed, but it was uh, pretty breezy. Yeah, Yeah, we both rolled up together, got asked a couple of questions. Where are you going? How long? Do you have any of this? Do you have any of that? Okay, goodbye. No problem. Did you guys talk about it before you came, before you started out that first border crossing? Did you talk about how you're going to handle the border crossings, what you're going to say, how much you're going to talk, those sorts of things? 
A little bit, especially for the states. We did talk ahead of time about that one because we weren't sure if they'd let us roll up together or take us one at a time. And we wanted to make sure we were saying the same things. And we both thought that it might not be a good idea to offer too much information and just keep it simple. Yep. Without, without being deceitful in any way. Right. So, um, how, how long are you going to be in the States? Two weeks, more or less. And where are you going? Well, we're heading to California. And, uh, you know, but if they had pressed us for more answers, we would have definitely said, oh, and then on and on and on. But um, it never came up. And I find that when you cross a border, be honest and friendly and respectful and um, give them information that they ask for. What do you mean, though, different stories that you're saying the same thing? You were concerned that you were saying, saying the same thing, giving the same answers. Well, if one of us just said, yep, we're going to the States, uh, heading to California, be in and out in a couple of weeks. And the other one rolled up and said, oh, we're going to ride through all the States and then we're going to go to Mexico and then we're going to keep going all the way through Central America and we're going to be gone for a whole year. Then that's kind of sounding different. So we agreed to just keep it simple, keep it to where we're going in the States because that's what they want to know about. What about the Mexico border? Um, we did a little research ahead of time. So I used a lovely website called iOverlander. Um, it used to be called borderhelper.com. And I'm familiar with that from previous travels. I guess iOverlander has taken that over now. So you just open the map and you click on the spot where you think you're going to cross and you see if anybody else has written any previous notes about that crossing. And there were, and thank goodness, because they gave very specific directions. Once you cross the border, we crossed over from Arizona into a place called Agua Prieta. And it said, as soon as you cross, turn right as soon as you can on the first street that's available and then turn right again immediately after that building. There'll be a small driveway with a little gate and no markings and then a doorway with a ramp that you just go up and in the door. And once you're in that door, you'll find everything you need. And I also chatted with a guy who had offered a place to host through um, a Facebook group. I forget the name of it. I think it was called Bunka Biker. And he gave the same information. He said, when you cross, make sure you turn right and look for this small little gate because otherwise you'll miss your chance to do all your border crossing. And so without that info, we most certainly would have been lost or confused in the least. But we found it and both went in and stumbled with our poor Spanish, but managed to get all our paperwork done. No problem. Yeah, it was a very simple border crossing, uh, but had that insider information. Like Elle said, if we hadn't gotten our paperwork there... So far, we haven't crossed any other checkpoints. So we would have literally just rolled into Mexico without having done any paperwork. And we would be right here now going, are we supposed to hmm. import our bikes or something? Mm, <laughs> right. And then if you get pulled over, that's when you're in trouble. Or when we try to leave the country. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what's it been like for you so far? Uh, well, we had a, a few challenging days in the States, believe it or not. So people were telling us that we were ahead of schedule, that we were too early. And they were wise to say so. We were pushing the weather window, I guess. We were riding a few days in 45 degrees Celsius yeah. through California and Arizona. And uh, 46 degrees mm -hmm. one day we hit. I've and never seen my temperature gauge go higher than 45. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. And you know, we know that it does get hotter in Death Valley and in certain parts of the Sinai Peninsula and things like that, but we weren't really uh, anticipating this. So I was beginning to worry, like maybe the warnings were right and we have gone way too early. But we sat down with some friends in Lake Havasu, Arizona, and we looked over maps and um, we plotted a route through Mexico that was kind of inland and higher elevations to avoid some of the hotter temperatures. And whether or not we got lucky with that or whether or not um, our planning actually finally paid off. But uh, once we hit Mexico, the temperatures cooled right down to a pleasant 28, 
29 degrees sometimes, but no hotter than that. And um, it's been amazing riding, great weather through Mexico with the odd little sprinkle of rain. And um, yeah, the people have been great. The biggest challenge for me has been the language barrier, which I underestimated again. Um, otherwise, it's been fantastic. What do you mean you underestimated? Well, okay. So the first time I went through Central America back in 2003, I had no Spanish. And I picked it up along the way and I kind of cobbled together eventually um, the vocabulary of traveler Spanish. And I figured that that would just kind of come back to me. Uh, but that's been over 15 years now. And it turns out that my Spanish at the time probably wasn't very good either. So when I hear L communicating with people, I tend to be a little bit like a deer in headlights because she has done much more preparation than I have. She would be the first to admit that her Spanish also is not great, but compared to mine, she you know, could have a topic about political science, no problem. No, not quite. <laughs> compared to me. I go in and I speak like a toddler. Like today I went in to get coffee and I think I basically walked into the, the store and said, good morning, I need coffee. I need it in this cup. <laughs> and can I pay here? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And it's funny because I think a lot of times people think that that, that represents your intelligence level, the, the way you speak and you, you tend to get treated a certain way because you don't, I mean, you see it a lot when people come and they don't speak English very well and people treat them like they're somewhat of children, you know, because they can't master mm -hmm, yeah. the words. Yeah. And to be honest, my experience in, um, you know, countries where I don't speak the language has made me more compassionate to travelers in Canada who don't speak the language. So I've encountered people, you know, I live near uh, Banff, Alberta, where there's a lot of uh, Japanese tourism. And when people try to communicate with me in English, but their English is not very good, I just slow things down. I use simple words. You know, I don't assume that they're idiots. I just realize that they are foreigners in a foreign land. And um, so I think it makes me uh, a better person and more patient in Canada dealing with uh, the intricacies of language here in Mexico. But um, like I was saying to Al, I'm the kind of person that needs to be exposed to lessons over and over and over. Uh, I never truly say that I've learned a lesson. I always say that I've been exposed to it again. And um, that's one thing that uh, traveling in, in Mexico uh, helps me with. What about gear? I know that last time we talked, you guys had already sent some gear back and you felt like it, maybe it wasn't even enough. Have you run into to more gear that you've decided to send back or how are you feeling about that? I think that process continues. I think every time we unpack in a hotel or a campground, we're thinking, geez, why do I have this thing? Or maybe I could rearrange stuff to have it work better. But the process has definitely slowed down. I think for me, the biggest realization was about three days in. I'm surprised at how different my frame of mind was. When I was still in Calgary packing, I just looked at everything in my house and thought, oh yeah, this needs to come with me and threw it into a pile. Oh, I might need this and threw that into the pile. And oh, I have to take this and added that to the pile. And then I squished that pile as hard as I could and made it fit on the bike. And it wasn't long. It was the first day and then on to day two and three that I immediately began feeling completely encumbered by all of this stuff. Jeremy made a reference to, um, what was that movie, Labyrinth? And there's a character in that movie called the Junk Lady. And she just carries a mountain of things around with her. And of course, it makes it difficult for her to walk or get anywhere or do anything that she needs to do. And immediately I thought, yep, 
that's exactly what this feels like. So losing a few pounds on the first couple of days was great. And we've definitely lost a little bit more along the way when we stopped in Lake Havasu, dropped off a few things and hopefully they can make use of them there. And I'm still carrying a couple of small things that I question. I brought contact lens solution and I haven't worn contacts yet. I've been wearing glasses every day. Um, so maybe a few more things will get pilfered, but for most part, I think we've got our systems figured out. Yeah. And I have a bag of stuff and it's growing by the day of stuff that, um, my thought is if I don't use this within six weeks, I just like, I throw it in the garbage, <laughs> like things like spare cables and stuff like that. And typically what happens when I throw something away is I need it like within the next 24 hours. <laughs> so I'm kind of hanging on to stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I'm going to send that uh, bag to the uh, to the landfill. Unfortunately, there's not much for recycling out here. Uh, I, I'm a recycle person, so I'm going to try to be responsible with my stuff. But um, if I can't find that opportunity to do it responsibly, uh, it might just get left in a hotel or maybe with another traveler if they can use it. What have you guys experienced so far? Um, big range in temperatures, uh, travels with figuring out the Spanish language. Um, not too much getting lost. I think every day since we've crossed into Mexico, we've decided um, that the day has been pretty successful. We don't always get as many kilometers in as we would like. Um, the roads are different. And we knew that. We've both experienced this before, but it's been a while since we've experienced it. You look at a map and you think, oh, well, from here to here is this many kilometers. We should be able to do that in this amount of time. But then you get on the road and they have construction happening. So there's a little detour. Well, it might be 100 meters or it might be 25 kilometers of just dirt. Mm. And the speed limit's 40 kilometers an hour. And there's no passing allowed. But you have to pass sometimes. There's big, big trucks that are just spitting dirt in your face and you have to get around them. And the road narrows and another truck is coming the opposite direction at the same time as you try to pass them. But you can't see very far. And it's, for me, there's been stressful moments, absolutely. I don't know about Jeremy. He seems to fly along and pass anybody whenever he feels like it without any problems. Yeah, for me, the traffic uh, and the the roadway system is actually fun. I like navigating it. I have had a few little miscalculations on a corner here and there, so that's a reminder to slow down and be present. Um, yesterday, Elle and I had a micro-adventure uh, in which I was traveling through a city and, well, first of all, I was passing a truck and then at the very last minute, I noticed a sign for the road that we needed. And it was right here, right now. So I dove off to the side of the road, took a hard right. Um, didn't risk myself in any way, but I lost Elle. Um, <laughs> she was another lane over and we got separated. And fortunately, we've got a communication system on our helmets, which we just installed recently. It was gifted to us in uh, Calgary, but we still only put it in about a week ago. Yeah. So thanks to Motology School, where L teaches, uh, they generously provided a communication system for us. But that didn't help us here. I took a, a very quick turn, lost L, and then we got separated and we got so far away from each other that the communication system broke up. We couldn't hear each other and we both ended up uh, doing the right thing, but being un unable to see each other and unable to communicate. And uh, that took us about, I don't know, 45 minutes to correct that where uh, we just both stopped like where we were and with the passage of time, you know, cooler heads prevailed and I just decided to move on from my location and see if I could find a gas station or maybe even a hotel where I might be able to reconnect with Elle. And she had the same thought process. And so I found her on the side of the road. Um, 
It was so, a big city with a lot of traffic and a lot of on and on ramps to different roads. And um, I was stressed out for sure. It took a good 20 minutes for me to just calm down and say, okay, so what's the worst case scenario here? If I've lost them, I've lost them. And I know how to find a hotel if I need to, and maybe just keep going down the road that we planned on. And worst case scenario, we find some Wi-Fi when we check into hotel, we figure out where we are and connect tomorrow. Yeah. And besides, Elle was always saying uh, that she might like to travel by herself. So, <laughs> I wasn't expecting it quite yet. <laughs> so when I when I saw us get separated, I was like, well, there you go. <laughs> We're traveling independently now. <laughs> well, it's funny that we, when Elle said that, she made it sound like, a, you know, well, if I've lost them, well, <laughs> like it was as if it was final. But don't, don't you guys have cell phones or are you not, um, are, you, are you not, do you not have a plan? Obviously you don't. No. I shouldn't have said that. I mean, we would have to buy SIM cards and then get established with a plan here in Mexico and neither one of us have done that. Mm, I see. Cause yeah. then you could, if you get separated, you just have a thing where if you're separated for so long, you, somebody calls the other person and, and that solves it. But that's interesting what you were saying about the comms, because obviously the comms only works so far. Um, and yeah. if you're in traffic, like you were, you're done. That's, that's simple. So have you come up with a plan now for the next time this may happen? Yeah. I mean, we kind of had the plan loosely in place, but we've talked about kind of more formalizing it now. And that is simply to, you know, if we get separated, first of all, keep going towards the place that we last talked about going to, right? So we knew a town, we had a destination. So keep going in that direction and find a, a gas station or the first logical, safe, maybe even comfortable place to pull over and have a snack and wait for the other person. And um, But don't wait too long. If it starts to get dark, don't risk your safety. Just grab a hotel. Yeah. And, and this scenario that we were in the other day was perfect because, you know, it wasn't near dusk. Uh, the weather was fine. Um, I know Elle was uh, a little bit stressed, she said, um, and I, I was not. I was pretty well perfectly calm because I knew that we were both rational people and we were reasonable motorcyclists, like we would be okay. Um, but I was incredibly stressed. Okay. She was incredibly stressed. Yeah. I was calm, <laughs> but I knew we'd be fine. And how's it working with the two of you spending so much time together now? Um, Elle is thrusting the microphone into my face right now because she doesn't want to talk. Um, I think it's great. Um, now I have a couple of times carved out a little bit of uh, alone time for myself. And all that looks like is like last night, for instance, I just, all I did was I left the room. I took my book. Um, I had a couple of uh, the local beers here, um, just two and kind of relaxed on a couch in the hotel lobby and was by myself, even though we were in the same building and Elle was doing her computer stuff. And then, um, there was one day where I was a little bit crusty because not because we'd been together for so long, but just because fatigue had set in. And, uh, to be honest, I'd, you know, I would have been more comfortable alone. Um, but Elle was gracious with me and very kind and forgiving. And she took care of what she needed to do and she kept her, her spirits high. And of course I never like directed my irritation in any way towards her, but there might come a time in which that happens. Uh, I'm a difficult person to travel with. I think if you've read motorcycle therapy, uh, that would be the conclusion that you would reach as well. Ooh, this Jeremy guy is tough to get along with. Um, so far it's not been a problem. Um, little micro breaks from one another helps. Um, and in the future, you know, we, we could spend a couple of days more or less apart, but in the same city. Uh, so far I haven't felt like that's been 
necessary. And uh, like I say, Elle has been very gracious with me and, and I appreciate that. Oh. Elle? Now, if she weren't here and if I knew she weren't listening, <laughs> then I would tell you. You were sure she wouldn't hear this. <laughs> yeah. Elle, how about you? Yeah, I think uh, probably about three days ago or maybe two days ago, I started to notice that um, each of us would have had some time alone if we could find it. But when you're traveling together, we're in our separate helmets. We don't usually have the communication system on when we're on the highway. Um, But um, when you're staying in the same hotel, traveling down the same roads, we don't have the same routine that we would have if we were back at home in Canada. So that whole leave me to sleep in, go get your own coffee, that's kind of the only alone time we have. And I'm not even conscious for that. So there's been a couple of testy moments. There's been times when I wish we had more time. We seem to just drive, 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 find a place to sleep, grab some food, and it's bedtime. We don't have a lot of time to relax, sit down, um, pull out the computer, pull out a book, do some journaling, whatever it might be. We're kind of cramming those things in last minute before falling asleep. So I'm hoping that um, we'll find a rest day here soon and that we will have some time to just do whatever we want without having to consult. I'm hungry now. Are you hungry? Well, not yet. Well, should we stop or should we keep going and have those conversations every day? Yeah. And I agree with that, Jim. We have been pushing pretty hard. We have not been making a lot of kilometers. Like if someone were to plot our route out Mm -hmm. on a map, they might scoff at thinking that we were doing big days because we're not doing a lot of kilometers, but we are moving a lot. And when we get into a town, we fall into bed, maybe after journaling. Um, But we knew that was going to be an issue because we've got a deadline in Panama for October the 18th. And I want to get there with plenty of time to spare. And then my thought is uh, kind of relax a little bit more once we're in South America. But um, what's the point of doing a trip like this, right? If you don't have the occasional, um, sightseeing day or, um, just time to relax. And I think we're, we're coming into a few of those days soon. We're going to meet a friend of L's, um, today, and then maybe again tomorrow and spend a few days resting and just relaxing and unwinding. But then we've got to hit the road again because of that, uh, that deadline, uh, a year of travel, when you first get it seems like such a long time mm-hmm. and you're going to have such a great time traveling for a year. But really, if you wanted to be leisurely about it, uh, we would need a year to travel just in Mexico. Yeah. Your October 18th deadline of Panama, that's to get on the stall rat. That's, that's right. Yep. So, to, so to go around the dairy and I'm assuming that you've already confirmed that now, because I think the last time we mentioned the stall rat, you were saying that you sent money, but you weren't absolutely sure that it was the right place. Uh, yeah, well, to be honest, we, we did confirm it via email and then we've heard, uh, just nothing but crickets. So, um, I've, I think we have a passage booked on the stall rod, <laughs> but I guess we'll find out when we get there. It could be incredibly yeah. frustrating to work hard to get there on time, push yourself here and there to only to find out that you don't have that passage. And of course that's to get around the Darien gap. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And there's other ways around it too. Like I know that we could just put our bikes onto a plane in Panama and, um, you know, anyway, I, I think we're, we're good on that front. Um, but time will tell. And again, for the listener here, uh, they might be thinking, Oh, are you guys kidding me? You think you're on a tight schedule? It's uh, only September, whatever it is. And you've got to get through Panama till October 18. That's easy. And yes, there are travelers out there, myself included. When I travel by myself, I do push a little harder and I do move a little faster. 
um, but I don't necessarily enjoy it. And um, we are traveling at a pace that is sustainable. And um, some days feel big to us, like maybe we spend eight, nine hours moving, but we only travel 600 kilometers or something like that, maybe even 400 kilometers. And um, that's okay. Again, trying to manage expectations is important. And um, Elle and I are both on board with um, reasonable starts in the morning. Sometimes we get up at 6 a.m., but generally we get up more like 7.30, 8, and then we don't get moving until midday. Um, fortunately, with our route finding, we have actually found nice weather for that. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm kind of rambling a little bit. The point is you could do this faster. Um, we're doing it our way and generally having a good time doing it. L, what is the trip about? Um, I think for me, the last time I rode my motorcycle through Central America, I noticed that there was a significant shift in my perspective, in my feelings, in my level of stress, in the way I looked at the world. And I wanted to be more conscious of that this time. So I think for me, journaling on a regular basis, I mean, ideally every night would be good to help get some insight into that and to um, have something to record that I can look back on when I'm 96 or whatever it is the day that I'm sitting in my rocking chair and can't do any motorcycling anymore. Um, but even that's been tough. Finding time to sit down and journal every night has not been happening. It's more like every second or third because there are days when I'm just tired after getting lost and separated from Jeremy and feeling completely stressed and worried to the point of, even if I have to keep going out of the city alone, I don't even know which road to take. How the heck am I going to get where I need to go? And then what are we going to do? And oh, this is awful. And why didn't we do this? And why didn't we do that? The stress level is so high that by the time I finish riding that day, I just want to be unconscious. I'm so tired. I don't have time to collect my thoughts and put them down on paper. So it's managing a little bit of that and trying to be gentle with myself along the way and managing Jeremy a little bit to some degree, um, trying to help out when he needs help with Spanish or step back and let him figure it out on his own and managing our time and who likes to sleep in and how we travel and how many kilometers we go. So a little bit about the relationship with Jeremy and a little bit about the relationship with myself. Because I mean, you guys are, are sounding like you're um, you're spending a lot of time just moving. Do you feel that you're missing out at all on I mean on the the sites and and the experience there with the people? Because it it just sounds like it's just travel right now, as in moving. Yeah, there's so much to see in Mexico. We could easily spend a whole year just traveling through Mexico, um, but there's a lot to see in the rest of the world too. And we've both decided that we are not going to be too leisurely in the first part. And after we get to South America, then we can hopefully slow down a little bit more. I am seeing some key things along the way, but I'm missing out on quite a few as well. And every town that we go to, you see beautiful stuff and you learn more about what there is to see that you didn't know there was. So it's tough to make those decisions. I wish we could spend more time, but it also feels good to keep moving and going towards a new destination that I have not been to before. Yeah. And again, we knew that these first two months would be what they are, which is just a bit of a push to get to that uh, passage around the Darien jungle. So um, I really believe that once we get to uh, Panama, things will slow down a little bit, although we still have a lot of miles to cover in South America. But I think the pace will be 
more reasonable. I, I hope to do some scuba diving maybe in Colombia um, and see some more of the, the sites along the way. We're in a bit of a transit mode right now. But I think there's going to be a few days coming up, maybe in the next week even, where we get to see some sites and relax a little bit and then maybe another push. And that's why I asked that because, you know, I know it's part of your plan. Yet it sounds like when you're listening to it, it sounds like that you're sort of caught up. This is part of your plan. You guys knew you were going to be rushed, uh, at least not really rushed, but you knew you were going to be in the transit mode, as you said. Mm-hmm. And I and by the sounds of it, like the real the real adventure, the real... I want to say vacation starts, you know, when you, when you cross the Darien Gap. Yes and no. Um, I, I would say mostly yes to that. Um, for me, I enjoy the ride so much. So there have been already a few days where it's true. We have not seen the local sites so much, but I have experienced some amazing motorcycle riding. And even though that is part of the passage, we're not taking toll roads when we can avoid it. We avoid them which means we're taking a little bit longer, but we're getting some nice twisty curves and we're seeing some interesting wildlife. You know, the other day I had to swerve to avoid hitting a tarantula, (laughs) um, which is kind of cool. And like, there's all kinds of tropical birds and there's cacti around. So for me, even though I'm moving and I'm seeing things from the saddle of my motorcycle, that's really part of the adventure and part of the travel experience for me. It's true. I'm not getting the local color and interactions with people except at gas stations where I ask for instructions or directions, but uh, I'm not discounting in any way that beautiful motorcycle ride, which is for me part of the the appeal and the allure. Do you guys have any apprehensions for, for borders or countries coming up? Uh, apprehensions, I don't know. They're not pleasant. Um, they're not a pleasant experience, but knowing that I think we've both, um, been through them before we're aware of it. So we try to arrive early in the day. We try to arrive with a good attitude and lots of water and lots Mm -hmm. of snacks. And, uh, that takes the edge off. And then the way that I try to look at it is, um, it's part of the travel experience. So, no, it's not pleasant. You're not moving. Sometimes people are shaking you down for bribes. So there's little kids tugging at you and wanting your attention. Um, hey, that's just a border crossing in Central America. Isn't that weird? And then you try to absorb it. Um, attitude, I think, is a huge thing. Water and snacks, also mm-hmm. huge. <laughs> yep. Like Jeremy said, managing expectations, I believe that's a big part of it. So we both have done this before. We know it's going to take a lot of time. We know it's going to be probably a frustrating process. But if we, if we expect to be there for a while and we both plan, hopefully not to have to pay any of those people who um, ask you to pay a little extra to help get through the process quickly. If we just know that it's going to take time and that's what it is and we have our paperwork copied ahead of time as much as possible, it's going to be a slow and not very interesting day. But that's how it is. Yeah. Do you guys have a border face that you put on when you get to the border? Do you, do you actually, you know, change your persona to say, okay, this is, this is how I handle this. I know from last time that when they all first crowd around you and say, oh, hey, you should pay me, you should pay me, you should pay me. I just look as relaxed and calm and as least in a hurry as possible. Sometimes I've even taken off my helmet and sat down on the curb to show I'm in no hurry. So when they say, oh, it's going to take a long time. And if you don't pay me, it'll take this long. I say, good. I'm in no hurry. No problem. Yeah. And I said to Elle, I actually just talked to her about this yesterday. Um, I kind of move like I'm underwater. That's how I describe it. So what I do is I slow everything down by 25%. Um, If people are yelling at me, like Elle said, I'll just slowly unbuckle my helmet, 
very deliberately put it somewhere secure and then I'll turn and like, yeah, yeah, I hear you yammering and yelling at me, but I'm going to do this first. Then I'm going to make sure I've got a little sip of water. And now I'm going to turn to you and say, yes, what do you need? (laughs) You know, just slow it down by at least 25% act deliberately. And so, yeah, there is some of that. And by doing that, you're, you're sort of diffusing the situation. Well, yes and no. Um, so when I do some public speaking, which I've done before, I try to talk slower and I feel sometimes like I'm speaking artificially slow, but then when I see a tape of myself talking, I'm speaking normal speed. So I think that's that same kind of thing happens at border crossings. I intentionally slow down, but from an outside perspective, if you were just watching me, it would look very normal and measured, right? So I think the perception, um, your perceptions are you're, I don't know everything's heightened, I guess, with adrenaline a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, so just slowing yourself down just returns things to normal, even though it feels a bit weird. So it's a way to kind of combat some of that stress that I might be feeling. And it's also a way to present to these people that I'm not in a hurry. So I'm not going to be easy pickings for you to get money from. Mm. Yeah. Just because you're in a panic doesn't mean I need to be. <laughs> right. Jeremy L., great to talk with you. Thank you very much for taking the time. I know you guys are getting ready now to head off um, and ride again today. And um, I guess we're going to catch up with you somewhere down the road when you get Wi-Fi again. Your Wi-Fi is not perfect on this one, but it's great to be able to hear you and and find out what you're experiencing. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us, Jim. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jim. We appreciate, uh, appreciate your time as well. take just a short break to thank some great companies that helped make this episode possible today but when we come back jeremy and l will be in guatemala after having made a border crossing that didn't go anything like they just described stay with us you know more and more i get messages or i talk with people and they tell me that they've stopped in at the red rock garage in beaverdale british columbia Now, the Red Rock Garage is a small coffee shop with a motorcycle addiction. And um, if you ride a zero motorcycle or other electric bike or an electric car, for that matter, you can recharge there for free. Kind of bizarre, but true. Anyway, for the rest of us gas-loving riders, you'll not only find the best coffee around, but the Red Rock folks say you'll be in the heart of some of the best riding you may ever experience. It's Highway 33 in Beaverdale, British Columbia, redrockgarage.ca. By the way, .ca means Canada, redrockgarage.ca. Make sure that when you talk to them, when you drop by to see them, when you check out their sticker window, you have to go and see that. Um, Make sure you tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, redrockgarage.ca. You know, it's okay to buy inexpensive pencils. It's okay to buy inexpensive elastics, sticky notes, balloons. There's a lot of things you can buy that are low grade and sort of get away with it because when the pencil breaks or the maybe the sticky note doesn't stick and it falls to the ground, it really doesn't matter. Well, that's unless you work in a nuclear power plant. It was a warning sticker you put up, but that's another story. Look, where you don't want substandard, poorly made, poorly designed products is when you're looking at your foot pegs. Your foot pegs are your main contact points when maneuvering a large adventure bike, when maneuvering any bike for that matter. And for that, you want high quality, well-designed foot pegs like IMS. IMS Products makes a full line of pegs for adventure riders, no matter what your style is. Professionally designed using cast certified 17-4 stainless steel. They're made in the USA. They're warranted for life. IMSproducts.com. Hey, anytime you deal with them or you talk with them, make sure you mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. 
imsproducts.com. Jeremy and Elle have crossed into Guatemala. They found a place to stay and they're having some serious trouble leaving. But that only came after a border crossing that didn't go anything like what they'd planned. Jeremy L., where are you? We are in Antigua, Guatemala. And uh, today we're debating whether or not we pack up and move towards El Salvador. We've had the same discussion about six times already, and I think we've decided that we're just going to pack up and get moving. Um, There are beautiful things to see and do, but from the beginning, our whole plan to get to South America and then slow down and spend more time there. But the more things we see, the more people we meet, the more places we come to, the more we're like, oh, we should stay here longer. And so that's what's happening. Because mm, I saw some pictures that you've been posting on social media. It looked like sandy beaches and lots of fun. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, we spent three days in Zipolite. Um, that was in Mexico. And then after that, we kind of drug our heels a little bit and uh, made our way to Guatemala. That border crossing was kind of uh, painful, and yeah. um, so we've just been kind of relaxing uh, near Panajachel for a couple of nights, and then uh, here we are, and probably moving again today. You're in a hostel right now. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right. You, you, you sound like you're almost talking quiet. You're trying to avoid waking anyone up? No, I don't know why that is, actually. I think uh, <laughs> we're going to ramp up the volume here. There we go. <laughs> uh, yesterday, we were... Uh, our next door neighbors were up and active at two o'clock in the morning. So I think we're trying to be a little bit mindful of other people, but we are in, in a courtyard. In fact, uh, right behind us, um, our motorcycles are sitting right next to uh, a small aircraft, yeah. which used to belong to the president of Guatemala, I'm told. Hmm. There's a lot of weird vehicles parked in here. So when we were like, can we stay and do you have secure parking for the bikes? He said, oh yeah, no problem. And he just pointed to the courtyard. And then I asked like, any particular you want our bikes parked? He's like, yeah, over by the tree, just behind the airplane, which was a first for me. <laughs> so is this because they're on display or is this just a storage area? Yeah. On display. The um, owner of the hostel collects planes and, uh, you know, this one is not a great specimen. It's kind of been picked over and not... That's where it is. Um, you, you just you just mentioned uh, a problem with the border crossing. Just talk about that. <laughs> We've done this before. We've both traveled on motorcycles through Central America. It's not our first time. So we have an idea what to expect. And we know that border crossings can be tedious. You line up in six different lineups. You get a stamp on one paper, bring it back to the first lineup you were already in for a signature. And then you take the same paper to another lineup and get a copy of that paper. And it seems inefficient and frustrating, but that's just how it is. So no problem. We're prepared for that. But I think for both of us, for me, for sure, it was um, a realization of how much I had forgotten, how frustrating this process can be and how much so many people try to, quote, help, unquote, which is really not helpful. I mean, if you want to pay somebody to help you through the process, it could speed things up. But generally speaking, my experience is they will lie. They will try to get as much money out of you as they can. And they add to that level of frustration quite a bit for me. We encountered one of those guys. Yeah. I mean, back up a little bit. We were debating whether or not we were going to cross the border. Um, We were riding towards Tapachula. And then about 80 kilometers from the border, there was 
these uh, these guys, they jumped out in front of us. They had laminated badges and um, we stopped for them and we chatted and they gave us all the assurances that these people uh, tend to do. The trimidadors, I think, is what they're called. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, if you hire me, we'll get you through the border. Look at his split. And there's a few things that have changed with the procedures that you don't know about. And because they caught us off guard again, um, we actually acquiesced and picked up this guy who rode on the back of Elle's motorcycle mm-hmm. for about 50 Which kilometers. It's a good clue that this is not an official process. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we decided it might speed things up. And I actually realized I have never actually done this before. I've traveled through Mexico into Guatemala before, but I never canceled my vehicle import permit. I knew that it lasted for six months and I knew I was going to be back home in Canada before the end of that six months. So there was one part of this that I'd never done before. I wasn't prepared for that. I thought, oh, crap. Okay, well, maybe this guy will make it easier and faster. All right, let's do it. Yeah, so... We did hire him. He did come with us to the border. He did speed things up, like to his credit, um, without bribing. So we didn't uh, pay any extra unofficial fees, although he did try to get us to pay a few extra unofficial fees. More than a few. A lot. That's when I started getting mad. Yeah. Elle Elle got her her back up against the wall a little bit and started uh, scratching her head and, and I just got up and walked away and went into the office and said, look, if there's money to be paid, I'll pay it directly to the person in the office, but I'm not giving you any more money. Mm -hmm. And then his story started to change. And then I got more unhappy. Mm -hmm. And you did that in front of the officials, like while he's in there dealing with them? Well, I'm not sure who these people were. I don't think they were officials. They've got these laminated badges, but his story kept changing and he kept wanting more money. And then there's a group that builds, right? Now we've got six guys following us around trying to explain half in Spanish, half in English, all the things we need to do. And that adds to the stress. So yeah, I got my backup and I just started refusing him and said, no, no more money. No, you don't get to take my passport anywhere. No. If you need copies or you need to give paper, then you take me to those people and I will pay them. But I'm not giving you any money. And it was great for me because the more angry Elle got, the more mom I got. So I just let her kind of (laughs) do the fighting for both of us. And I just sat there eating almonds and watching the show. Um, This guy never claimed to be an official. He had a laminated badge. But at no point was I under the impression that he was an official part Mm -hmm. of the process. He was a border helper. And, um, in the end, like I say, he did help us with a few things, although he did try to squirrel, uh, about, about a, about a hundred dollars more or less. He wanted us to buy insurance for all of the Americas, which both is unnecessary and not Existing. valid. Yeah. yeah. It didn't exist. So, um, he did help us find places and, uh, get through lines a bit quicker and went and made copies that were needed. Yeah. But um, in the end, he was trying to line his pockets as well. So it was a bit of a... Thick and heavily line his pockets. Yeah. It was a bit of a... Well, in hindsight, we made a mistake picking this guy up, although it did save us a little bit of time. (laughs) And the funny thing, Jim, I think I mentioned this to you last time. I feel like I'm learning the same lessons that I learned the (laughs) first time I went on this trip, right? So I'm learning that, yeah, I am a bit of a difficult person to travel with. And yeah, I am a bit uh, light on the research end of things. So... Um, once again, I showed up at a border, kind of caught with my pants down, and um, it, it worked out in the end, thanks to L. Um, and we didn't pay any unofficial fee except for uh, this guy's services, which we paid him a pittance for, which is not a big deal. Talk about uh, difficult, difficult to travel with. 
Well, I mean, I can be ornery, especially if I'm hungry in the morning, if I don't get my coffee, et cetera, then I'm a little bit short-tempered. Uh, I don't lash out. Like, I, I wouldn't say that I have a, a temper exactly, but I get a little bit um, snitty. <laughs> Down to the end of his fuse. There's yeah. times when we're walking around sightseeing and he's just like, I'm done. Yeah. I want to go back right now. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, where yeah. did that come from? Okay. Yeah. So you and, brood. Uh, you so sort I've of got, brood, I guess, is, is the word for it. A little bit, yeah. Maybe a little bit. And I'm, I'm kind of used to traveling by myself a little bit more. So um, in, when you're doing that, it's your own agenda. And 100% of the time, it's your fault if you make a mistake. And 100% of the time, you do what you want. But I tend to find that I miss out on opportunities when I travel by myself as well. And that's something that we need to discuss again after every time there's a thing like this. For example, this guy at the border crossing. We need to debrief with each other about what happens at the next border crossing. How do we handle it? How do we deal with each other? Because Jeremy's much more laid back. Like, I think that, I don't know for sure, if there's a possibility that this guy could have gotten insurance or done the things that were actually valid and not just lies, Jeremy would have said, yeah, so it costs a little extra. Um, I'm okay with that. Let's just do that. Whereas I am much more, no, no way do I want to pay any extra cent if I don't have to, especially to some guy who might be lying and not trustworthy. So we would handle things very differently. <laughs> and I don't know the limits of Jeremy's patience. At what point he's just going to, I don't care how much it costs. Let's just get this over with. How much time did you spend at the border? Not that long. It was maybe two hours, maybe, yeah. maybe two and a half. I think just about two. And that was to get out of Mexico and into Guatemala with both our vehicles and all our immigration stuff done. Yeah. I was expecting the way you're describing it. I thought it was going to be like an all day affair. No, it felt bad because the humidity was close to a hundred percent and it was very hot. And so hot. Yeah, you are so. just wet and sticky and sweaty and uncomfortable the entire time. Yeah. And, uh, there was definitely some confusion as to what was official and what was not. So, um, it was, it was a bit of a painful experience, but of course, of course, we've both done this before and we know that that's the situation. Um, we just need to do a better job of settling into it a little bit. Mm -hmm. our, our connection is terrible and we're going to talk again, but, but just before we go on this one, L, I, I want to ask you, are you guys still a couple and, and where does it rate? Does it, has the, has the relationship improved or went the other direction? Um, I don't know if it's gone any particular direction. We are still a couple, yes. We are a couple who both enjoy some time, quiet time to ourselves. So we do have separate tents and we did use those for the first time back in uh, Oaxaca in Mexico when we stayed on the beach for three nights. We had separate tents and I was a little bit worried how Jeremy might react to that. But I think we both enjoyed it quite a bit to have our own space and not have to worry, have to compromise, have to shuffle the normal routine of the way you do things around to accommodate the other person. And when you're in a small little town that's only, say, six blocks wide and covered in beach, if Jeremy takes off and goes to have dinner at a different place than me, that's fine. I know where he's going to be at the end of the night. And by the time we're ready to get up and leave again in the morning, I know we're both going to be here. And I don't need to worry about the in-between. I don't know how many other people I can travel with and have that be the same way. So I appreciate that about Jeremy. But I also look forward to those times when we can have our own space. Mm -hmm. Jeremy. Does that answer the question at all? We yeah, are no, still it does. A I'm curious. It's good. I'm curious. I was waiting for Jeremy to chime in here. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, for me to chime in. Well, I think we set up separate tents uh, on the beach because I bought a bottle of homemade mezcal. <laughs> and I think Elle was worried about that <laughs> night. Um, there was a fair bit of snoring. I think I heard a dirt bike first thing in the morning and then I realized it was just Jeremy snoring. Yeah. So, um, but no, it, that wasn't actually the, the separate tents thing wasn't so much we needed space. It was just that we had these tents and we had some space and we thought, you know, let's spread out a little bit and enjoy some downtime. So although we did sleep uh, separately, we spent most of our time together. And uh, yeah, of course, we're still a couple at this point. I don't see that changing. Um, we're together, we're happy, and we're moving forward as a couple. He's sitting right beside me, so he's saying the right things. <laughs> no, no, I would say the same if Elle weren't here. What lies ahead, just, just to wrap it up, what lies ahead for you now? Well, we're possibly going to El Salvador today. Um, again, we had that discussion several times last night, and every time we had the debate whether or not we'd go to El Salvador, we both agreed that yes, we would. So I don't know why we're still having the debate, but it seems that we are. <laughs> Is there apprehension about going into El Salvador? No, it's just another border crossing, and I think it should be easier than uh, Guatemala. Uh, we've done a little bit more research this time, to our credit, to El's credit, uh, not to my credit, of course. That's not my signature move, is to research. Um, I think we're just hesitant to leave Antigua. Yeah, we both like Antigua. We've, I found this, El showed me this amazing uh, bar last night. Uh, of course, it's my happy place, and there was great live music, and um, I could spend days just going back to that place and having drinks and watching people play music and then coming back here. And there's a there's a guitar here that I can play that belongs to the hostel. So there's a little bit of a reluctance maybe to, to let go of something that's comfortable. That's the only thing. Mm. L, Jeremy, it's so great to talk to you. And it sounds like you're just having a great time. We'll have to talk again very soon with a better internet connection so we can get into some more details. Um, you guys stay safe. Thanks, Jim. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again soon. Well, that was Al West and Jeremy Craker on their way to the end of the earth. Well, as far as you can go by motorcycle in South America, we're going to be hearing more about their adventures as we go along and uh, head for that hard day that they must reach to get aboard the Stallrat to get around the Darien Gap. That's very, very important for them. Keep listening for more of Adventure Rider Radio's exclusive travel series, Southward Chronicles, the ongoing saga of two riders traveling together on separate but parallel journeys. You can drop by the website and look at the show notes for this episode. We have links to their social media accounts as well as some photos that they've sent us that they've taken en route. And just in case you've happened to notice the scratching sound in the background, that's three squirrels in a box. Well, if you don't believe me, check our Adventure Rider Radio Facebook page and you'll see what we posted there. just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com. Also, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com. 
Green Chili Adventure Gear at greenchiliadv.com and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers at motobreeze.com. Hey, you do us a great favor. If anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime you see them anywhere, you mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. wraps up another episode of adventure rider radio special thanks to elizabeth martin our producer and to you the listener thank you very much i have to tell you i'm really excited about this new moto travel series that we're doing and southward chronicles is i think we're just at the beginning it's just starting to unfold as we head for the stall rat well as they head for the stall rat and we ride along anyway drop by our website check out the show notes we've got some photographs from them there's spots there to make your comments on all of our episodes actually and we'd love to get your feedback on southward chronicles and what you think of following somebody's adventure and in near real time as they're doing it Uh, and while you're at it um, we have loads of episodes on adventure rider radio for you to check out we've been doing it for over five years now we also have another show called arr raw you have to subscribe separately to that one Um, and there's loads of episodes there for you and all kinds of information in the show notes as well so drop by and have a look around and, and see what you think and drop us a note um, and we, we, we need your help for this as well, because Adventure Ride Radio is built on a model of advertising and listener support to make the whole thing work, this, melding the two together. So anything $10 or more gets you stickers sent back at you. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our Raw show. We'd love to have you as a monthly supporter on our patron team, adventureriderradio.com forward slash support. Well, now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. My name's Jim Martin. Talk to you next week. My name is Colin Evans, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. <laughs> <laughs>